Hello and welcome to the Zip Files, a technology news catch-up show. We're here to help, to help your wanderings through this world, to make sure that those wanderings are experienced with your eyesight intact. We've all done it. The guilty unfurling of a newspaper, flicking to the tech news and spending your honey-sweet vision on the discovery of Yahoo's newest failure. Don't do it. The abrasive effect on your long-term seeing skills just isn't worth it. Spec savers won't do two for one forever. Instead, pull down your eyelids, put your headphones on, attach them to this podcast, and let me deliver all of the latest and greatest tech news straight into your ears. For the next 20 to 25 minutes, push the thought of eye usage to the back of your mind. Microsoft have supposedly gone and done something pretty awesome. For any of you who studied modern languages but found yourself haplessly copy-pasting your translation homeworks into Google Translate, rest easy in the knowledge that your children won't have to go through such pains. Microsoft have developed an artificial intelligence that can translate Chinese into English with the same quality as a human. Teachers will no longer receive mangled sentences telling them that their student thinks they are a damp bread roll. How have Microsoft done this? Well, instead of using the conventional translation technique, statistical machine translation, they've leveraged the power of deep neural networks, a system that more closely mimics human behavior. It's not clear that the translation AI is ready for the big time yet, though, as it's only been tested on news stories, where grammatical errors, slang, and other twists aren't really commonplace. Set it loose on my social media and see if it can tell you what the hell my mates are going on about, and I'll personally mail you a fiver. Cheers, Microsoft. Snoop Dogg is well known for a few things in this world. Most prominently, doing bits in music and smoking marijuana herb weed ganja. But that's not enough for the dog father, who has just finished raising $45 million for his venture firm, Casa Verde. For any Spanish speakers out there, you might guess what this fund specializes in. Correct, bing, 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 bing. Investing in early stage companies trying to make it in the ancillary cannabis industry. The firm has announced eight investments so far, with more to be revealed in the coming weeks. If you had to change your name, what would your new name be and why would you choose that name? What the hell? Um, St. Michael. Why? Because I'm, because I'm a bit sane. You can't give yourself a sane. A sane. <laughs> I could have any name. Well, yeah, you could call yourself St. Michael, but that wouldn't be a title. You'd just be called Saint. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to be dead to be a saint anyway. Well, I'll be dead then. You may recall from a few weeks back that Broadcom, a Singapore-based chipmaker, has been attempting a hostile takeover of Qualcomm, its American rival. The offer was upwards of $140 billion and would have been the biggest tech deal ever struck. Intel's ears had perked up. 
they have largely missed the smartphone revolution to players like Qualcomm, whose R&D is world-beating. For fear of becoming redundant in the advent of a Broadcom Qualcomm supermerger, Intel were rumoured to have been preparing a bid for Broadcom, a sort of unrequited love triangle. But, like any unrequited love triangle, it wouldn't be complete without Donald Trump, who waded in this week to block Broadcom's takeover of Qualcomm on grounds of national security. There were concerns that if it were to go through, then China might pull ahead in the development of 5G technology. People don't want to go into the darkness, or at least if they do, then they want to know that the lights will come back on at some point in the future. Death has been a thing for a while now, but a Y Combinator startup want to change that. Their innovation? Preserving your brain for future reanimation. Cool, you might warily think. So they do this after you've stopped with the living stuff, right? Um, hmm, no. The plan is to pump embalming fluid into the living. A sort of assisted suicide that says, All right, mate, see you in a bit. Bye. If this isn't off-putting enough, then perhaps neuroscience can step in and convince you. The overwhelming sentiment, This is the dumbest thing since unsliced bread. What do you do if you've made loads of money from founding Google? Well, if you're Larry Page, then you throw some of it at an autonomous self-driving air taxi company. Kitty Hawk officially launched this week with an impressive video of their Cora aircraft doing all the things you'd expect from a taxi of the future. Where was this exciting little weird helicopter plane thing flying? The answer is New Zealand, where the company has partnered with officials to test its pilotless flying air taxi. I wish them luck. In the words of IMDDB's granddaughter, Kitty Kitty everywhere. <laughs> Welcome to this week's Long Listen. It's February 3rd, 1984, somewhere in Washington, D.C. Elizabeth Holmes is blinking her first blinks as she breathes her first breaths. A baby girl, come to make a difference, come to change the world. Nine years later, and at nine years old, Elizabeth pens a letter to her father. What I really want out of life is to discover something new, something that mankind didn't know was possible to do. Poetic in her vision. She excelled at St. John's School in Houston, was particularly interested in computer programming, and attended three years of summer school at Stanford University for college-level Mandarin before even graduating high school. She was brilliant. In 2001, she applied for Stanford as an undergraduate, was accepted, and awarded the President's Scholarship. There, she studied chemical engineering. One day in her freshman year, she asked her professor, Chaining Robertson, if she could work in the same lab as PhD students. He was unsure, she persisted, he hesitated, she persuaded, he gave in. Chaining would later speak of Holmes, When I finally connected with what Elizabeth fundamentally is, I realised that I could have just as well been looking into the eyes of Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. Indeed, she was not solely interested in academia for academia's sake, 
but in applying her learnings to solve real-world problems. In 2003, in her first year of Stanford, and at the age of 19, Elizabeth founded Theranos. She had never liked needles. Blood testing has its shortcomings. Tests are expensive, available at inopportune times, in inconvenient places, and involve syringes. She told the New Yorker, I really believe that if we were from a foreign planet and we were sitting here and said, okay, let's brainstorm on torture experiments. The concept of sticking a needle into someone and sucking blood out slowly whilst the person watches probably qualifies. Theranos was here to fix these problems, to make blood testing much more affordable, widely available and syringeless. A pinprick on your finger and a drop or two of blood was all that Theranos needed to conduct a whole host of diagnostic tests, identifying dozens of medical conditions from high cholesterol to cancer. This promised to revolutionise preventative testing, to catch diseases in their early stages. Elizabeth encapsulated this. We see a world in which no one ever has to say, if only I'd known sooner. A world in which no one ever has to say, goodbye too soon. In March of 2004, and now in her second year at Stanford, Theranos was taking up Elizabeth's whole attention. Despite the discouragement of her professor, she dropped out and went full-time. By December of the same year, she had raised $6 million. Her vision was a beautiful one, her abilities exceptional, and the market for her product worth almost $100 billion. Okay, now fast forward a bunch of years. In 2013, Theranos came out of stealth mode, released their pinprick blood test, and partnered with Walgreens, America's second-largest pharmaceutical chain, to offer blood sampling in stores. By 2015, Theranos was valued by investors at $9 billion. Forbes recognized Holmes as the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. And then, all of a sudden, well, things weren't so good. The New York Times did a profile piece on Elizabeth, a piece that marked the beginning of the end, a piece in which Elizabeth explained, or rather failed to explain, what happened in Theranos' testing machines. And I quote, A chemistry is performed so that a chemical interaction occurs and generates a signal from the chemical interaction with the sample, which is translated into a result, which is then reviewed by certified laboratory personnel. Now, take a second to let that nonsense sink in. That is some high-quality, high-grade nonsense. Holmes's comic ambiguity drew the attention of the Wall Street Journal's John Carreyrou. He went and spoke to ex-Theranos employees. He dug deeply into the processes of the company and then published his findings under the title Hot Startup Theranos Has Struggled With Its Blood Test Technology, a title which is sensational for its lack of sensationalism, for it was the article that prompted a federal investigation. Just this past Wednesday, the Security and Exchange Commission, or SEC, announced that both Elizabeth and her co-founder Balwani had been charged with, and I quote, massive fraud for systematically lying about the company's technology, business, and financial performance. And these weren't the sort of lies you pull out when you've forgotten to do your geography homework. These were devastating lies. When raising money in 2014, Elizabeth allegedly told investors that Theranos' revenue would be over $100 million for the year. In reality, it was $100,000. Theranos said their test was accurate, and in many cases they were wildly inaccurate. 
Theranos claimed that most of their testing was done with their proprietary technology. It simply wasn't. At the height of her powers, Elizabeth was worth $4.5 billion. Theranos was widely lauded as Silicon Valley's brightest star, and Elizabeth, Silicon Valley's queen. Now, she is the newest persona non grata in the Valley, and her net worth revised down to $0. While Barwani holds out to go to trial, Elizabeth has settled with the SEC out of court. Holmes will pay a $500,000 fine, give up control of her company, forfeit 18.9 million shares, and be banned from serving as an officer or director at a public company for the next 10 years. If Theranos is ever acquired, she will not profit a cent until $750 million is returned to defrauded shareholders. Elizabeth is our latest Icarus, adorned for a brief moment by an expensively sourced set of waxen wings, the gift of bullish investors blindly grasping for the next unicorn. I wonder whether the girl who was born in 1984, who blinked her first blinks and breathed her first breaths in Washington, D.C., ever intended to cause harm or ever considered her actions to be truly wrong or fraudulent. Perhaps she did, but believed in her cause, believed deception would save lives sooner. Perhaps she was all too confused by the nuances of Silicon Valley, where its heroes are adept at posturing a company's future to seem like it's now where truths are often manipulated into something more attractive, something closer to fiction. The line is fine, and many entrepreneurs excuse themselves of it in their reaching for greatness. Elizabeth is now 34, but more than that, she is a lesson to Silicon Valley, the bloodied head at its gates, an SEC warning. Innovators who seek to revolutionize and disrupt an industry must tell investors the truth about what their technology can do today, not just what they hope it might do someday. invisible but you wish people could see <laughs> my literally my instinct i held in was to say farts <laughs> uh. <laughs> what <laughs> why <laughs> why would you want to see this i don't know <laughs> me and my brother always just always used to joke about like how screwed we would be if everyone could see our farts <laughs> yes Since I was a tiny little human being, I've always preferred watching people playing video games to actually playing them myself. It's maybe a bit weird, but the latter actually kind of makes me feel quite lonely. For a long time, YouTube was the destination if you wanted to see someone else conquering digital challenges. But this audience is increasingly moving over to Twitch, a live streaming platform for gamers. This week, Drake, yeah, Drake, the guy who does singing and stuff, streamed himself playing Fortnite, a popular cartoon first-person shooter. At its height, his stream had 680,000 concurrent users, nearly doubling Twitch's previous record. As a software developer, I've dabbled with implementing scalable live streaming in the past and can calmly say, Christ, that is really very impressive. Well done, guys, really impressive. Now brace yourself. 
Drake was live streaming with Twitch's biggest Fortnite name, Ninja. Now, Ninja is potentially the best paid ninja ever to exist. Forbes estimates he makes $560,000 before calculating ad revenue, donations, and income from other sites per month? That is bananas. Maybe I should have played video games instead of watching them. Here is some assorted space news. Elon Musk says SpaceX would be ready to launch an unmanned rocket to Mars by 2019. However, he did acknowledge that he has a history of overly ambitious deadlines. People have told me that my timelines historically have been optimistic, so I'm trying to recalibrate to do to some degree here. That was such a bad impression. Oh my gosh. In Russia, Putin has other plans and they include blasting people to Mars as soon as 2019. If you are a Russian cosmonaut, Godspeed. I hope he's not putting you in danger. Oh, legit, legit though. Good luck. Honestly, good luck. The FCC alleged this week that SwarmTech, a space communications startup, illegally launched four tiny satellites into orbit. The satellites are too small to be easily tracked by the space surveillance network, and could therefore pose a threat to other space assets. Naughty. Artificial intelligence and machine learning are set to be transformative. But, as of yet, they aren't particularly high-achieving. Jumping to the world of techie finance, funds using AI and ML actually lost 7.3% on average in February. Reassuring for traders who want to keep their jobs. If you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, what question would you ask? <laughs> what is the mean? <laughs> what is the meaning of all of this? <laughs> Why am I here in this skin suit? Um, yeah, in that accent. <laughs> in that accent. Yeah, probably, probably that one. Mount Gox started out its life as an exchange for Magic the Gathering playing cards. But then its founder read about Bitcoin. For years, it was the largest crypto exchange in the world. For years until February 2014, a month in which a massive hack saw Mount Gox bleed 850,000 Bitcoin. Bankruptcy quickly followed. However, their story didn't end there. Since the hack, the company have been able to recover a large number of lost Bitcoin. These have been entrusted to a man named Kobayashi. His job? To sell. To sell the Bitcoin so that the proceeds might be returned to users burned by the hack. However, it came out this week that his dumping of Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash depressed prices, causing the crypto collapse that has defined the space's 2018. Detractors argue that Kobayashi's selling is irresponsible, that his trading on the open market instead of offering the Bitcoin at auction is both dangerous and atypical. Really, to be honest, it's just a reminder that Bitcoin's trading volume is so paltry that its market cap at any given time truly doesn't really mean anything. Crypto is too thinly traded and its prices too easily manipulated. Kobayashi has only sold $400 million worth of Mt. Gox's Bitcoin. He has $1.9 billion left to sell. 
Conspiracy theory videos are very popular on YouTube, and its algorithm has often been accused of recommending them all too eagerly to users of the site. In an age of fake news where jet fuel can't melt steel beams and world leaders are lizard people, YouTube is trying to make a stand in the defense of reality. Rather than be censorious and rip the videos down, CEO Susan Wojcicki, Wojcicki, Wojcicki? Hmm, how do you pronounce that? Oh, I found a video of her saying her name. This is cool. My name's Susan Wojcicki, and I'm used to responding to Susan W blah 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 because no one can ever say my name. All right, sorry, Susan Wojcicki. Um, so yeah. So rather than be censorious and rip down the video, CEO Susan Wojcicki announced this week plans to add Wikipedia articles below popular conspiracy videos. This way, she hopes that people will click through and be exposed to something close to the truth. Critics say that this will do little more than encourage the mass defacing of Wikipedia pages by hordes of tinfoil-wrapped revolutionaries. What do you think, Siri? Do you think that Susan is a lizard person? I'm sorry, Evan. I'm afraid I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> it's a bit evasive, isn't it, mate? Jesus. All right, folks, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this week's instalment of The Zip Files. If you got a singular micron of utility from listening to this audio-based tech news catch-up review, then please consider sharing The Zip Files with your friends and enemies. Many thank yous. Until next Sunday, enjoy your venti cappuccinos and have a great week. Hold up. 